you're ready to stop submitting basic applications and winging your interview for your next nursing role, whether you're a graduate nurse or a seasoned healthcare professional, we'd love to exclusively invite you to our secret nurse growth hub, where you can get all of the support to apply, interview and land your next nursing role completely free. All of the resources that we've shared and created over the last three years that have helped 3,000 plus nurses internationally apply, interview and land their next nursing role. So what are you waiting for? Come and join us today. It's completely free. LiamCaswell.com forward slash NGH. Come and join the Nurse Growth Hub today and let's make applying, interviewing and landing your next nursing role easy. to the High Performance Nursing Podcast, where we seek to coach, educate, and inspire nurses globally to achieve their high performance potential. Learn from influential clinicians having curious conversations to help you navigate your unique high performance nursing career path. Join me, your host, Liam Caswell, nursepreneur, coach, and mentor, as we explore how you can create a balanced, high performance nursing career. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to this episode of High Performance Nursing. My name is Liam, your host, and today we have a guest, an amazing Scottish guest, first Scott on the podcast, actually. We have Dan Maven here. Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm just hoping we've got some subtitles for um, this one. (laughs) Yes, you may need to listen to this very slowly so that you can understand what we're saying. (laughs) And we will try our best to uh, communicate clearly. (laughs) We will be speaking in our best Edinburgh accent. Yes, yes. Apologies (laughs) if it sounds like a foreign language. (laughs) But we will try our best. Dan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We have got lots of amazing things to talk about today, including we're going to explore NHS versus Australian healthcare, as we've both spent a bit of time in both healthcare systems. And we're going to unpack Dan's career and learn from what Dan has achieved up until this point in his career, working across Scotland and now Melbourne. So Dan, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your career to this point? Yeah, so I was quite a late starter into my nursing. I didn't qualify till I was 30, which is slightly older than what Liam was. We both went to the same uni and course together. I got into nursing because randomly my sister always wanted to be a nurse. I had made many complaints throughout the years to say that she wanted to be a nurse. And then I thought, screw it. Let's. So I applied for her and I said, you've got a nursing um, interview coming up. And she says, well, I don't really want to do it myself. Will you do it with me? So I was working in bars and nightclubs and thought, oh, I may as well. I've nothing else to do. So I just went along to the interview, done the course and loved it. It was access to nursing. Didn't have any biology or maths. I was never academic at all. And then just found that I really, it was my passion. I loved it, everything about it. She went on to live and uh, study in Glasgow. And I went to Edinburgh Napier to study in 2008. You remember that, Liam? A long no, time ago. No, it feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I was 16. Yeah, it's so <laughs> that. crazy. That's such a random story, like way to get into nursing. Yeah, but, I fell um, into it. It's really funny because I went through the, exactly the same process. That um, course is 
pretty amazing in terms of setting up for getting into nursing in the UK. And we both went to Edinburgh, Napier, which was awesome. 2008, 2011 graduates. So yeah, so what an interesting start to your career. So then you started working in Edinburgh or Glasgow? No, I started working in Glasgow. So I studied and then moved back. I worked in a hospital called the Glasgow Royal Infirmary, which is a hospital that was built in the 1850s. And in Australia, that's quite unknown to have something that's that old. (laughs) I worked in medical receiving. And again, medical receiving is a a Scottish or a a British Mm -hmm. ward. It's basically like a short assessment ward. And sometimes I forget that medical receiving doesn't exist here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like a 110 bedded ward with multiple specialities and it was a sink or swim kind of moment uh, you were you either thrived or you you sunk and it, it was good for a ground baseline but then I realized that I liked the critical care thinking part of it so I went to work in HDU in the Victorian infirmary mm-hmm. and people would know it if they've watched Outlander because that's where mm-hmm. the it's filmed the hospital scenes are filmed in the Victorian infirmary please tell me you're an extra <laughs> no no what? no that never people always say oh i've watched outlander and i was like that's just offensive to scottish <laughs> <laughs> yeah scottish scottish people don't look like what's the lead guy's name jamie don't, don't pretend you don't know don't pretend you don't know liam <laughs> i can see the picture behind you of him <laughs> stop stop oh that's so funny do you know, it's funny you talk about medical receiving because that's, that's where I started my career. And it's, ah. it's sink or swim. We called it clinical decision unit down in Reading. And I've crossed here, Joe, I've come across like medical admission and planning unit. There's so many different yeah. like, names of units. But I think it's a really great spot to start your career. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. And I forgot actually when you said Reading is there, was a, there wasn't many jobs for us in 2011 in Scotland. And a lot of us had to move down to, um, I actually got a job in Blackpool, which people would know in Australia. It's a very, very cheesy place. And I got a job in Reading as well in the, the well, we say A&E, but it's actually ED over here. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, I forgot many folk went down to Reading. Yeah. And it's quite sad because they were kind of forced to push down that way. Mm, mm, yeah, no, to provide context here, it was really challenging at that time. And mm. I'm not sure what it's like now in terms of jobs in Scotland, particularly. You know, Scots tend to like to just stay put Mm -hmm. and we don't tend to move around as much so the the job market there for years after graduating was really challenging yeah yeah and i am i find that just now during covid i don't know if folk have heard of it um that (laughs) what they yeah what's that they took a lot of the second year nursing students and then made them enrolled nurses so they hadn't even finished their third year training paid them a wage and what they were doing is they were getting paid a nurse's wage and then they would also get their bursary and for people who don't know we get paid to do nursing and we don't pay them to study nursing should I say um so it caused a bit of strife amongst the nurses who'd been working there a while because these student nurses had been coming in and were getting double wages wow they were essential and it, it was essential and it was important important because they were really struggling as we all know but yeah it caused a lot more hassle than probably what it was worth and it forced them into a situation where they were taking a lot of accountability that they probably Liam we both know what we were like as second year nursing mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. like 
I couldn't even tell you what a normal heart rate was or no. what a heart rate was <laughs> in second year. So, um, what's, to be the heart? Into, what's the heart? <laughs> Doesn't that run by magic? <laughs> uh, so it, it seemed a bit sad to push them into that position. And, and a lot of them are really enthusiastic and keen to do mm. it, but it was a bit too much accountability, I feel. Yeah, that's very much sink or swim. I didn't know that, you know, I've been out here for six years now and a bit disconnected from it all, but that's really interesting from the perspective of, like you say, a second year student nurse, you know, in the UK, we haven't had ENs for 20 years, like the 1990s, I think maybe they got rid of ENs. I'm not sure. Actually, I I don't mean to fact check you, Liam, but our year was the last year where you could qualify with a diploma. Ah, they did get rid of the enrolled nurses as a term, but we were the last year. So 2009 students weren't allowed to qualify without a degree. So that's when it became only registered nurses. Oh, wow. Here you go. Here's me thinking it was the 19th you know, back in the day. <laughs> but, uh, but it's not. Thanks. <laughs> that's OK. <laughs> Fact but, check. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, though, because we still do have ENs here. You know, and I think the training for ENs in Australia, I don't know what your perspective on on this is, but the ENs that I've worked with have been awesome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And their level of training is is excellent. And they come into the workforce and they add a lot of value. And I don't think there's any plan for ENs to be phased out like they were in the UK here. I just see them as the same as a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't see any difference whatsoever, other than some restrictions where they can't use maybe arterial lines or PIC lines or ALS. Mm. The thing is, is I meet a lot of phenomenal enrolled nurses who are not able to develop into ANOM or CNS roles because they're enrolled nurses, which I find is, is, must be quite a struggle for them to see Mm. other folk but it's just so expensive to study. It's so Mm. expensive. Mm. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that in Scotland, yeah, free is free. You might lose some uh, listeners <laughs> once they hear that. Yeah, you need to yeah. go. You need to go and talk to Nicola Sturgeon and get into <laughs> Scotland and study because our degree is technically free, and we get a bursary. Yeah, we get paid, and I think mine's was about five hundred and fifty pounds a month, which is about yeah. probably one thousand one hundred dollars a month yep. to work. And yep. not pay for my tuition. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great start. Like you know, coming into the profession, it was di- it was probably a bit of a draw card for me to be honest. Yeah. In terms of studying, but I think I often come back to that and think that that system was really quite beneficial. Like it allowed you to kind of start to learn that you're going to be paid for the work that you're doing, and you kind of felt appreciated when you were doing the work, and it kind of took that whole burden away of yeah, I've got to do six weeks of placement. And for free, you know, so therefore mm-hmm. I'm not going to give it my all. I kind of almost mm. felt like it kind of motivated you a little bit to really get in there and, and, and go for it. And, you know, working with some students in Australia, I see that difference. And I kind of sometimes tease the idea with them. I'm like, if you were being paid, how would this feel? Like how different yeah. would this be for you? And <laughs> how it happy would you be? <laughs> yeah, and it shouldn't be that like that. But naturally, of course, you know, cost of living, it's expensive, the students and the degree, if you're an international student here in Australia, is 20 grand mm. a year. Yeah, I was I was thinking about this for your like I was thinking what would Liam think if it was a positive or a benefit. And I, I'm not too sure because you remember I think in first year there was about 450 students and by second year had almost half or even mm. two thirds had gone. And I thought the almost 
proposition of a free bursary and no tuition forced a lot of people into nursing that maybe didn't want to be in it. And then people who did last maybe didn't want to do nursing, but then were stuck into a rut. And then I think when you're over here and you're actively paying for your course, you're motivated to learn and motivated to do that job well because you appreciate what you're getting. Mm. And I don't know if we appreciated enough in Scotland what we were receiving, especially when I come over here and see how much 19, 20 year olds are struggling with 30 grand of debt. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah, no, it is. That's a really interesting perspective, I guess. It's something that I probably haven't thought about, but I don't know. I don't know what's the best, the pros, and I don't know what's better, NHS well, Australia, it was, but it's, it was convenient for us. Yeah, it was for us. So <laughs> I'll it take was, it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was great for us. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those, I guess, perks of being in the UK. But I think that has since stopped, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, I think Scotland still has the bursary and the tuition. But if you're in England, you're not, you have to pay for your course. But again, the course is, I don't think, 10,000. I think it's maybe three or four, but that's, mm. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I'm strange. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I think it's important that nursing is accessible to people, you know, that really want to join the profession because, you know, when it, you're looking at, as an international in Australia, you're looking at 15, 20 grand a year and the, the fees are ridiculous, you know, that's, that's problematic and that will turn a lot of people away. And at the same time, as we move through COVID and we start to see people potentially leaving the profession that have, you know, had really bad experiences in, in really COVID-stricken areas, you know, we already have a global shortage of nurses. We already mm -hmm. see that playing mm -hmm. out um, day to day in the workforce. So, you know, what's your take on that? What do you think might happen after COVID and with fees and so on and so forth? I think there has to be some sort of incentive to bring on more nurses to, to have, I think we're losing the, the, the jazz and the, the glitter of becoming a nurse because it's, it's such a hard life. It's mm. so, and I, I hadn't realised how many sacrifices we had to make to become a nurse. And, and I think that's, I stayed in a flat where one was a, a natural path and I'm not dissing any cultures. And one was a, a musician and they were able to go out every weekend and I wasn't because mm. I had to study and I just felt that, and I had to work as well as a weekend job. I feel like after COVID, we, I think we'll struggle. The workforce will just diminish, mm. especially in the UK. I think with COVID, like I, I we've, we both get friends in the UK who are working in these wards and I've got friends in ICU and HDU and they're posting pictures of pressure sores in their noses and their cheeks. Mm. Uh, we've been in a, a, a pay freeze for 10 years, you mm. know, and they're giving you, I think they're offering 0.5% of a raise which actually means a decrease as inflation happens you're actually getting 0.5 a decrease every year we're just not appreciated and i think a big thing was and i don't mean to be political at all but when boris johnson tweeted about raising the pay for police doctors nurse ed, fire teachers and just missed out nurses altogether he certainly set a tone and that was a huge reason for me moving over to australia is that public services were being decreased, funding was being diminished, and we were left to really just fight a, a losing battle to try mm. and look after patients as safe as we can, but against odds where we were being kind of not appreciated.
Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, you know, the, the whole lack of acknowledgement, you know, of, one, of nursing is considered globally, you know, the most trusted profession. And I think the pandemic has shown that we are, we will step up and we'll do what mm. we need to do. And, mm. you know, I think it's worth noting that when people train to become a nurse, when we went back in you know, Edinburgh and the lecture theatre, when we were all messing around and not paying attention, <laughs> you know, we, we didn't think that we would face a global pandemic. No. We would go to nursing thinking that. And also it's not covered. Like infectious mm. disease isn't a part of the course that I yep. can remember. And all of a sudden you're asking a, a global demographic of nurses to deal with a highly virulent virus that, that's, you know, we're not prepared for that. Yeah, I've always said that uh, I'm in the most privileged role that I can be. I think as nurses, we see people at their most vulnerable state. I think there's not one nurse who hasn't sat and been the last person that a, a person, mm. like um, somebody has sat before they pass away. I think it's the most privileged role that you can be in. And it's just, it's just a great job. And it comes with all the kind of sad facts of being overworked and being underpaid. Mm. But at the, the crux of it, that's not why we do nursing. We do it because we're there to help and we're there to, to mm. make sure that our patients are safe and survive. And mm. it's a really privileged role that we're in, but we don't, we never, we never meet any, we never had any infectious disease lectures about a pandemic. And, and I don't know if, if you have in your career, but I certainly, when I was in HDU, there was a critical incident in Glasgow where a helicopter crashed through a pub's roof. And I worked the night shift. And so we were one of the hospitals where the, the patients were coming. And it's probably the most emotional and thought-provoking time of my life that I decided that perception was key that mm. no matter what I had in my life that was going on it just wasn't as bad as of mm. what we go through in jobs so mm. I think you'll meet a nurse who will always give you negatives of yeah. pandemics and how hard work mm. they are but at the crux mm. of it they love their job oh yeah absolutely I have to yeah I couldn't have said it any better I uh, thank you I oh, know so <laughs> but it's it, it is one of those things you know thinking about self-care and thinking about yeah we're here for the patient we're here for the families there is kind of almost like a line i see a bit of a line where as nurses we do a lot of give 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 and it is our job but you know for example nhs uk covid it's a bit of a disaster the whole situation to say the least and i really feel for anybody listening in the uk but you know yeah, how do you navigate? How do you navigate that kind of stuff as a nurse when that's what you're seeing and that becomes the norm, and all of a sudden, you know, you are being paid. You know, bottom of the barrel pay. So pay, mm. pay is abysmal mm-hmm. um, in comparison to what it is here in Australia. We've all got to live. When we're off shift, we've got to pay our bills and our groceries. And I remember living in Reading and working forty-hour weeks um, in my full-time job, and then doing two, three extra 12 hour days mm. as an agency nurse they all had debt what are your thoughts on that yeah uh, i certainly noticed noticed uh, a difference in my pay i was an enum and we call them charge nurses in the uk i was an enum in the uk and i came over here and got exact role as an enum 
I done less hours. I didn't do many night shifts, and I got exactly double of what I was getting paid in the UK. And people say, "Oh, Melbourne's expensive," but it's certainly not double expensive. So, and it it was crazy that that's a figure. It's crazy. It's fantastic, yeah. and there's no yeah. complaints here. But mm, mm. <laughs> and things like tax returns—that's a new thing to me. Yeah, yeah. We don't um, have that in the UK, do we? No, not at all. So my very first year in Australia, I applied for my tax return and boy, was I pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel you. I remember. (laughs) Everything. spree happened. (laughs) I I think they were encouraging me to put in for tights that I didn't wear. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm not not, not, uh, uh, promoting tax fraud. Uh, I never. No, no, not on this podcast. (laughs) No, I only put in what I deserved. But it is like the entitlements here in comparison are amazing. And it is a draw card for people coming to Australia. I think it's something that lots of people ask. And when mm. we look at the, the pay difference, I, I couldn't believe it when I moved here and did agency nursing in Sydney. I worked less hours and wow. made almost triple the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not about the money, but it allowed me to travel and um, explore different things, different specialties, which was awesome. I think what it does is that we're appreciated as a career. And I think when you are paid for what you do, I I don't think that's bad. And and they do it for, Australia does it for joiners and builders and all skilled trades. Mm -hmm. They they earn well and so they should because it's it's a hard task. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the podcast and I was wondering what your thoughts are on the nurses currently in the UK with COVID, what's happening with them? You know, a few my friends are still over there working and I think it's when I talk to them I almost feel this guilt I'm in Canberra and you know I don't want to detract from what they're going through but as a nurse with critical care experience I feel like I want to help and contribute I can't obviously I'm 24 hours away uh, and I can just support them through that but I mean Honestly, if I was still in the UK as a nurse, I probably wouldn't still be working. I would mm. probably help through the, the COVID you know, era. But apart from that, uh, I think I would be looking elsewhere purely based on the fact that there is just this lack of acknowledgement of the complexity of the job, mm. what it takes away from you and your kind of personal life and the compromises that you have to make. And they, these guys are putting their life on the line every day. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a big thing for me, like in, on Facebook, um, I was getting messages to say, oh, my brother's on the front line and oh, I'm so proud of my friend, he's on the front line in Australia and I wasn't. I was in an office because as a manager, I was supporting the staff and in a private hospital, we certainly went, weren't hit as bad as the UK almost even remotely and we have done so well in Australia in terms of our COVID response but I felt I had to do something I was feeling guilty like you Mm -hmm. said that I was sitting back and speaking to my friends and seeing the pictures they were putting up and how heartbroken and and down they were and feeling guilty that I was although part of that profession not putting my my oar in so I the hospital I work for in North Park they were phenomenal and I always say like we could have easily sat back in our laurels. The, the government was subsidising us. So we didn't have to do anything. And they decided, no, we'll do something. So they went into these aged care facilities that were just broken with COVID. And we put a team in and then we just worked for three weeks in the COVID boards. And the best experience I've had, just 
the saddest experience as well because you see a lot of sad things as you know in the aged care system and then add a pandemic is just the worst but I felt like oh, I had to do something and that's why I feel like at the basis I'm still a nurse although I'm mm-hmm. a nurse manager and, mm-hmm. and my my outlook and, and aspects for working's changed in terms of I look at work hours and budget and training and and things like that at the basis I've still got that nurse capacity to to go in and help and I think that was important I think that's really it's really interesting and it's a good kind of learning for people listening is that you know although we couldn't do a great deal here and you know there was certainly more COVID cases and uh, so on and so forth in Melbourne but you know everybody can contribute in their own unique way mm-hmm. and you know here in Canberra we opened a ward as well we opened a, a brand new ward and I was just feeling this guilt and I was like hey if you need somebody to run it I'll do it and it was chaos for three mm. years like yourself but I just felt like I was giving back and I was playing my part as a nurse yeah and likewise as a nurse manager it allowed me to get back on the floor touch base you know walk the walk demonstrate that mm. I've still got it you know because yeah. also when you move into those roles people are like oh you move into management because you can't nurse and it's like <laughs> it's like when they say when a drama teacher you're a drama teacher because you can't act yes. <laughs> <It's the same>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, what, what did they say about teaching is like um nurse, somebody said to me in an education session a nurse wow <laughs> the, audacity, the audacity said oh you teach because you can't do isn't it like you <laughs> That's harsh. Me? <laughs> like, let me show you. I've um, always done my management in terms of, I never ask anybody to do anything that I can't do. So I do toileting, bed baths, these things that people think, oh, you shouldn't be doing that in your nice shirt. You can't say to someone, do that if you're not going to do it yourself. You just become a bad manager. Mm, such an, yeah, because that's leadership, right? That's, yeah. you know, you're demonstrating that you will walk the walk, talk the talk. And um, what do people say when you do that as a nurse manager? Do the staff, you know, challenge you? They'll ask everyone else as I'm sitting at the desk and they'll say, well, I'll come help. You know, I'll go answer buzzers. We do a thing in the hospital where you have to do patient rounding. Mm. And it's just normal. But when I became manager, I was, it was my ego that was doing patient rounding. I just wanted to tell everyone I was our unit manager. Yeah, hi, I'm unit manager. <laughs> you know that way. So um, I just, I loved it. So they always say, "Do you do patient rounding?" Of course, I want to tell them I'm a unit manager. Yeah, I'm the boss. I'm the boss here. <laughs> <laughs> so they always ask everyone else, but and I'll say I'll come help. But it's nice because it gets to know. I take two things from it. I get to know the patient, which I think is really important, mm-hmm. and help the staff. But I also get to visualise the surroundings. So are the tables clear? Are my care boards done? Mm-hmm. Is the patient comfortable? Are they in pain? Are they being looked after? So it's a mm-hmm. bit of a sneaky way for a manager to try and see what's happening in the ward. I hope none of your staff are listening. <laughs> no, no one will listen to this. Don't worry. Do <laughs> the highest ratings. <laughs> that's so true though because i think you know we've all worked for managers that haven't done that that haven't chipped in that maybe haven't contributed to the ward and it's more of that kind of authoritarian style and maybe you know sit back and not shout out orders but you know it's the less Mm. on the floor less prominent and look you know we all have those days where we can't answer the call bell or we can't come out and do something because we've got 
multiple competing priorities or you walk in to do your patient rounding and John says, well, actually, I'm glad you're here. I've got a list that I need to talk through and you go, okay, I'm going to be here for an hour. <laughs> yeah. We've all had bad managers. Everyone mm. has. And whether even a nursing or anything, do you use that as a basis not to be? Or do you oh, just yeah. forget about it and get on with it? No, I take everything I can from it. Uh, I take the, you know, what do I like? What do I dislike? And I make sure that I do not embody that that behavior um, attitudes mm. mindset in my work it's hard though because if you're in an environment whereby you have that kind of culture it, it is going to rub off on you and you are going to you know what did they say you know you, you are the sum of the five people you spend most time with oh. so do you like that one i like that um one. <laughs> so if you're, you're in a work environment whereby you're there monday to friday or you're on shift work and you're working with Debbie Downer, if we're going to be a strike, mm. <laughs> then, then that's going to be problematic and you're going to pick up on those behaviors. But I think what is important is being able to just step back, reflect on it and, and move forward and challenge yourself and just question it. Is that how I want to act, mm. behave, communicate? And I love that you talked about the walking the walk because I just don't think enough people do it. Mm. And that's if anybody's listening that wants to take the next step in their career and move into nurse leadership, everybody is a leader in healthcare. That's the first thing that is problematic. Usually they have to they feel like they have to wait until they become an ANAM or you know, the C and C we call it up here. No, you can lead from the floor mm-hmm. and demonstrate those skills and find yourself a mentor and and you know start taking action just now i have a lot of nurses i'm very lucky with my team like i've got a fantastic team but i have nurses who are not anums who are not cns's who take charge of the ward and i think mm. that's phenomenal and i notice these things because then i um these are the people that i'm going to develop and to become in cns anums and eventually nums and i think mm. that's, that's such a good thing it's important though that when you're on the ward that you you are enthusiastic and you're motivated to be that person and lead because it is noticed by everyone and it's especially noticed by the people who will be able to promote you into better positions. We will always work with nurses who I call them coasters, who are just happy to come in and mm. do their job and leave. And they are fantastic. Mm. They are they're so important in the ward, but they are not somebody that you are too keen to develop really far mm. because they're quite happy as they are. So those people in my uh, ward, I, I nearly said family, but that's how I count them. <laughs> and my ward is, there's quite a few that I know will be my future anums and CNSs. Mm. So it's, it's nice mm. to see. And, it, you know, it's so important that people proactively work towards that. You know, if that's where they want to go, you've got to talk to your manager. You've got to put it out there. Um, mm. put it on the table have a chat about it because you might be able to pick up on it on the floor but you know sometimes people are quite reserved yeah. they might not you know display it as much as others so if you're one of those people you know talk about it and be get into quality improvement start delivering some education you know develop your leadership skills locally and partner with your manager so that you can show that you're working towards that i think that's really important certainly the opportunities in the uk to to develop are 
really hard. Mm. I, I, I think I'd went to an interview three times in the same ward to try and get my number and had to fight for it. And to be a nurse unit manager, you have to wait till somebody leaves or dies. <laughs> like, that's it to get. <laughs> yeah, it's grim. That's how you need to get that role. But over here, the opportunities to develop are, if you're ambitious and you're enthusiastic, they'll just throw you forward for all these mm. positions. Was it? I was seven months into my first job in Australia and I started doing associate director of nursing, so doing a hospital coordinator role. And it was just because I was enthusiastic to do it that they were like, let's, let's throw this guy forward and, and do it. It's a sink or swim moment because a lot of it, you are, it's a steep learning curve and your responsibility rises really quickly. But if you can do it, it's the most proud moment you'll have. Mm. I think it's really important for people that are ambitious and driven, motivated, that kind of I would dub like a high performance nurse and they're well-rounded, they're looking after themselves, they're doing the work, they're motivated to, to grow and develop. I think it's important to stop and disrupt yourself every now and again. Mm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think naturally it sounds like you know we don't want to go down the coasting this it's very important that we have those people but there are people that just love and thrive in change and i'm one of those people it sounds like you are yeah you know i think that whole idea of stopping disrupting yourself and kind of becoming a novice again it's terrifying Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's so important for your own professional development and it shows that it shows your gaps you know it shows your strengths it shows your gaps and gives you something to work towards I was speaking to my, my nurses today because I was working and I was saying, oh, I'm going on this podcast. And they were saying, what's it called? I was saying high impact nursing. And they were saying, is that when you run with the bed too fast? And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I, I guess it's like making a change as high impact causing an impact on nursing. Mm. Um, it's quite an interesting term. So we were having a little conversation about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, for me, it's just all about being that well-rounded clinician. Mm. looking after like I think that as nurses like you mentioned earlier we were exposed to so much and you know when you said earlier about every nurse has sat there and been the last person that someone sees I got goosebumps because it's so true Mm. like we we are there at the most vulnerable moments in people's lives and it is a huge privilege and we we can't overlook that and but in the same breath working in ICU for years that kind of became the norm and that was hard to process how do you manage that moving forward? And that's maybe where the gaps for me are in, in nursing and in healthcare, unless you work in an amazing facility that provides that. But who do you debrief with? How do you unpack the trauma that you see? Even as an educator for a while, I was like, I was an educator in medicine and here in Australia. And like I read an article about post-traumatic stress and like secondary trauma as an educator, because mm-hmm. you go in to help a nurse delivering care to a patient and you see that maybe the practice isn't at the level it should be. So then you see the impact it's had on the patient, but also the staff member. And I just thought it was fascinating. Jen, mm. How do you process that? I think nursing lets us do two things. We, more than any other role, we're taught reflection. We're taught how to reflect and how to manage it. And I think that's phenomenal. And, and I use it 
out with nursing. I use it reflection on everything. And I always say reflection can be your best friend and your worst enemy because mm-hmm. you can over-reflect. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's not great, but also I use reflection to make things better. I constantly go home saying, should I have done something? Should I have done it this way? What did I do that probably I could have changed? And it makes me a better manager. I, I think the other thing we do, which I think is not the best thing, is we see our patients in our family or in our situations that we've had so a woman who's passing away is like her gran or um, someone who's gone through a traumatic miscarriage is something that my sister went through and sometimes that can be the most traumatic thing you can do because you automatically see someone that looks like your family and then you then reflect that onto them or you um, project that onto them it's I find the psychology of nursing fascinating. I think it's so many things. There's so many sides to the cube that we, mm. we a lot of people miss, but I'm very aware of it and I love it. I think it's great. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a really important part of being a good leader. You know, that, that self-awareness, that emotional intelligence, that ability to um, stop, reflect and use it as kind of fuel to move forward rather than allow it to kind of take over and hold you back yeah and you know we see that we might see that not only within nursing within our physio colleagues our doctors our consultants uh because we we do get we do experience really challenging things but we we as a team i think we usually tend to pull ourselves through that and reflection so important do you think nurses are hard-faced I think that's a Scottish term. You may want to explain <laughs> hard-faced. <laughs> do you think they become a bit frozen to emotion or do you think they become over? I don't know. Emotional. I think I would definitely be in the over-emotional field. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I have an experience when I was a ward manager and came on at seven o'clock as you do and, you know, walk in and somebody's had a, a medical emergency and it's it's not good and we're going down that path of palliative care and I had five students in the room with me and they had never experienced a patient passing mm. and that palliation and in that moment I was like overly emotional probably a little bit too much on reflection I was thinking I'm the manager I need to hold this together <laughs> but you know this this patient had no family Mm. so we sat there and we the five the six of us held a hand and you know just kept it comfortable and i uh, i think i don't think you can be stern faced and and hard faced in those moments uh i think maybe the hard faced aspect might be in my experience when we're just flat chat and we've got that kind of like that look on our face like yeah. oh my god i've got so much to do and uh and i've only got eight hours to do it but I don't know. I think most of the nurses I work with are probably on the over-emotional side and we yeah. definitely will, like you said, see that as a family member or we just get really attached. And it's hard because if you look after somebody for six months, a year, mm-hmm. and we've got people staying in hospitals for three years, much longer nowadays, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something that's quite challenging, I think. I love the old nursing ways of, and I don't know if it's more a Scottish, almost religious way of <laughs> open the window so the spirit goes out yeah, when someone yeah. passes. Uh, I can't think of the other ones they do, but we used, everyone's had that auxiliary. They don't call them auxiliaries here, they call them PSAs, where they have their old ways that they'll, mm. they'll, they'll sneak a little blessing or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. But like everybody, I think, has those rituals. And I think it's important that 
you like respect them. Do you know, a yeah, lot of people, of course, a lot of people like I will still continue to talk to people. Yes. Um, and I, I can't deal with not talking to them as if they're here. That for me just is not respectful, kind to me. They're still a person. But a lot of people find that really confronting. I don't know what's your take on that. Why do you do that? Is it because you feel that their spirit's looking down on you? Or is it just like... uh... I think I just like to respect the fact that they're still a person. Like they're not just... Mm. It's not just a... This has gone grim. Sorry, guys. It's not just a body. (laughs) Do you know, it's they're still a person that's lived an amazing life. And I just want to respect that and call them by their name and... Do you know? Do you do yeah, that? I, Am I weird? Am I on my own? <laughs> no, 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 no. I uh, yeah, one-sided conversations with the corpse. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I do that as well, and I, I suppose, and it's it's embarrassing to admit, but I feel I, I'm not religious um, mm. to a degree. Uh, but I feel that maybe if they are watching down on me, that I have respected them to a degree. Yeah. So maybe when it ends and I go up there and he says. What, you, what what were you pulling me that hard for? <laughs> Why are you throwing me about that bed that I could say, no, no, I was respectful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, and it's hot. You know, when you're a leader, you, yeah, people look to you for that kind of guidance, don't they? And yeah, often yeah. you're usually doing it with a, an AIN or a PSA and a student because yeah. everybody else is flat chat and, and it's an opportunity to like nurture them and to make it and try and make it as normal as possible, which is hard. But actually, this is not where I thought this would go tonight. No, I know. I, know. I, I need to so- ask you this question <laughs> because I can't deal with this aspect of Australian nursing. And I don't know if you've experienced it, but when patients pass in the UK, they leave the ward in, in my hospital anyway, they left the ward, the porter went with them. And I didn't have to take them down to the mortuary. Oh, okay. Is that something that you had to do? Yeah, because here in Australia, within my first couple of weeks, I had to take somebody to the mortuary. And I had never done that before, ever. And I've done it multiple times since. And it's one of those things that I just get a little bit uncomfortable about because I don't see it as a nursing duty. I don't think it's something that I should do after I've looked after the patient. And I don't know. I, I don't think it is a nursing duty because it's not something that happens in Melbourne. So I'd maybe okay. check, maybe check Liam, that you should be going with them. Oh my God. Maybe Are you just, just, somebody's pulling just my leg. Wandering. Literally. Yeah. Someone's just, you're just wandering past and they're like, why is this thing. weird guy coming with us? It's a thing. Seriously. It's, oh, yeah. I don't know if it is. So you've never done it? Never. No. Well, that's great. Cause I hope you never have to do it. Yeah, <laughs> because it's, it's not pleasant. It is not pleasant. Anyway. <laughs> this went down a very dark route. <laughs> That's fine. It's you know, it's topical. Um, and clearly, yeah, we do interesting things where I live. <laughs> I wanted to talk a bit about medicine because you're in medicine and HDU, which yes. I love. I love medicine. But often when I worked in medicine, people would often say medicine's not sexy. You know, medicine's not, it's, you know, mm. hodgepodge. It's, you know, a real mixing pot of everything and that no one else wants. <laughs> what would you say to that? Because I do love medicine. But what, what's your take on that? Well, I, I was critical care. That was where my passion was. It always had been. And I always wanted to be a manager. I went down a route where I thought maybe I was going to be an advanced practitioner. Mm. Um, I don't know what the, the equivalent over here is and um, but basically where you worked as a junior doctor with a lot of accountability to do a lot of things but then I had a little taste at management and thought oh I really like this side to it 
And so then I got this role to become a unit manager in a medical ward and the portfolio was to open a HDU within it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll still get that critical care aspect of it. So when I joined the ward, such a variable mix of everything. Mm. Like there's nothing we don't take. Now, surgical is very strict in the fact that they take surgical patients and very rarely they take medical patients. And medical takes everything, medical, surgical, gen, aged care, like everything and I love it and as a manager I do all the ward rounds we don't have a discharge planner so I do it so I work as almost a junior doctor Mm. I chase up scans and review the bloods and do things like that and you just notice so much it's so variable Mm. and I Mm. love the fact that it's a bit morbid but I like the fact that we have sick patients and you can see that progression with the implementation that you do as changing their lives for the better mm, mm. wounds and, care i love i love wounds mm, mm. And, and medicine is like it's just such a such a melting pot obviously clearly you've got exposure to all different patient situations a lot of nurses though when they first start i, I often hear them say oh, i want to go to medicine and i think it's because it's maybe really challenging and yeah, yeah. Um, but what was it like for you to set up the hdu because that's something that would have been really awesome yeah so my managers my exec team are always people who always say dan stop saying yes because i say yes to everything i said yeah i can do that give me a give me two weeks <laughs> so i went and said i can open a hdu and boy was that a swift kick to the face lots of things that business plans and uh, and that's a big difference in the uk in the uk i would never have the opportunity to open a hdu it just wouldn't happen and I was writing policies. So if I found something in HDU that we didn't have a policy for, I would write it. So I'd done admission and discharge policy, a metaraminal policy, and you just, you give them to your quality manager team, they review it with the doctors, and then it's ratified via whatever board that has to go to. Mm. It's so different from the UK, the opportunities. So HDU was fantastic. They gave me a budget. I was able to buy lots of new fancy equipment, work with networking and, and working with the, the reps to try and organize in-services and just a really steep curve. The one thing, the positive that came out of COVID in Melbourne was that we became quiet but were subsidized by the government so when we weren't working in the aged care facilities I was able to do training and that meant that we didn't have a lot of patients but I had a lot of staff and then I could organize in service and work with education to try and bring up their skills so we had I think I trained up about 20 nurses to become critical care trained and I think about 17 of them have so far looked after um, HDU patients and skills like arterial lines and that's what I love about my team there was no financial incentive they don't get anything extra but they're just so happy to have developed their skills. And the thing mm. that I brought in is I brought enrolled nurses into HDU. So I have a lot of enrolled nurses who work in there. Tonight, I've got one of my fantastic enrolled nurses working in HDU, looking after the patient. And I think that's nice because there's no difference between an EN and an RN, apart from a couple of skills that you may never use. So I can bring them into high dependency and develop them. And, and it's great because the ratio is different. Mm. not allowed to use the word ratio i've been taught by my exec team i have to say acuity (laughs) not ratios (laughs) Um, so it means they get to know their patient a bit better Mm. and Mm. have that structure so it's fantastic i'm really lucky the Mm. thing that we've done as well is we wanted to make it something personal so there was a 
orderly who had worked in the hospital for 41 years and he uh-huh. passed away of a, a brain tumor sadly so we dedicated the hdu to him so we've got uh-huh. a little plaque and he's got his photo there and his wife came and cut the ribbon and his family were there and she said every patient that comes into high dependency will be looked down on by this man which i think is beautiful it's got a personal mm. touch to it it's just something a bit nicer than just having a unit it makes it a bit more motivating to to do it well mm. to give him some like respect to, yeah to do it justice and yeah. and yeah and to pay respect to that guy that's amazing wow that's so that's so awesome thank you it's do you know it sounds like you've got an awesome culture and culture is very, very important. What, what are you kind of tips and tricks for people listening about, you know, as a leader, what, what things, and we've already talked about some of them, but what kind of key things do you do to really try and lift the culture and sustain it and continue to move it forward? I don't know if it's a Scottish thing and you'll probably agree, but we have a very unique sense of humor um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> like especially banter. Yeah. Uh, I had to change my mind frame from the UK. I was becoming, I was becoming a Debbie Downer in the Australian term. I need the accent, please. Yeah, the, uh, Debbie Downer. <laughs> oh, gosh. I be- came over here and I'm just so much happier that it, it just ripple effects as to my management. I'm positive. Mm. I'm, never, I'm never angry. I'm sometimes stern to get things across, but I'm never angry. I have an open door policy and I have a phones on policy in terms of if you need to come speak to me, come speak to me. If I'm not working, give me a text and we'll have a chat. Mm. So my staff will give me texts and, and they'll chat to me and we have a good relationship and I think it's so important. I don't see myself as the boss. I don't see myself above them. I see working with them. And mm. I think that's so important. I make sure as a leader, I know every person's name in that hospital. So I know the domestics, I know the kitchen staff, I know the allied health team, I know the reception staff and I have conversations with them. Mm. So it, it breaks that barrier that you are higher up, you know, to degree. And I think mm. it's important to know that as a hospital team, we all work together and without them, I would be nothing. My word would be hell. So I, that's really important. The other thing that I, uh, I like old school nursing. I love it. We have, a, we have a staff member in my ward who's an old school nurse. And I say it with the highest regard. And you'll know what I mean with that old school nurse and people yeah. listening will know what I mean. It's those basic standard skills where your attention to detail is all related to looking after the patient. And I love it. I think mm. it's phenomenal. And I'm trying to instill that back in through education and in-service of just basic nursing care. Mm. It sometimes loses as we become more developed and we have these skills that we're doing lots of stuff. We just forget those little basics, which I love. So my team, are, uh, in terms of my exec team and my culture, is very focused on being a family, which is nice. I love that. That's awesome. And it sounds like you've created like I always talk about creating like a psychologically safe environment. There's mm-hmm. so much evidence research out there. Amy Edmondson has done lots of work in that space. And I think that is just critical for high performance teamwork. And I love, love, love the fact that uh, you talked about, it takes, takes the whole team. It's yeah. not just the nurse manager's responsibility. It's not just the receptionist's responsibility. Everybody has a part to play. And if one, my experiences as a leader and a manager is that if one of those little, if there's a kink in the chain somewhere, it just unravels itself mm. and it becomes you know, bigger than Ben, hard to manage. Uh, so you know, everybody's critical. So important. 
I went to a, it was like a three-hour Proteus. Proteus is a like a life coach company, um, mm. that, um, and really big. And they'd done this three-hour session, and some everything they were speaking about was so simple, but so important. So they they spoke about the three percent, and I don't know if you've heard mm. about the three percent. I think it's seventy-five percent of your staff are motivated and keen to learn and work and do what they need to do to make it a better world. 22% of them are on the fence. They come in and they're very much manipulated or developed by people around them. There's 3% of your staff who will never, you'll never be able to change or develop. And those 3% of your staff can affect the 22. And as the 22% becomes the 3%, that 25% can start to infiltrate your 75%. Mm-hmm. And I learned as a leader, it's so important. There's only some people you cannot change. Mm-hmm. That's such a good learning, such yeah. a good learning. And, you know, should you spend a lot of time in that 3% or should you spend more time in your 75 and your 22? That's and, exactly, and yeah. Really, you know, invest in those, we call them kind of middle and high performers, not saying mm. that the 3% are low performers, but that's kind of where we look at it, where kind of we work is, is you know, where do you want to put all of your investment um, ultimately, because we need people to come to the table ultimately to make positive change in the workforce and to build that high performing team. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like this is turning into a mass podcast, but um, the, they say that the 3%, you spend 80% of your time on to try and change and you'll lose that 75% because you're showing them no time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's about converting your energy into that staff and building up what you've got. Yes, I love that. That's so good. I actually didn't think that that's the three percent that you were talking. I was thinking of a different three percent. You were thinking of a Netflix show. I was. I was. I was. I'm not good with maths. so don't do that in Scotland very well. Not in my hometown. <laughs> in Hoyk. Howick. In Hoyk. Oh, it's so funny. Hey, that's awesome. Like, you know, I absolutely love hearing about how you, how well you're doing in your career. It's amazing, and obviously, there's so many great opportunities for you where you are right now. So it sounds like. You're going to be kept busy for a long time and sounds like you might disrupt yourself a couple of times in the process. (laughs) (laughs) What would you, to wrap up, what would be kind of your key pieces of advice for any kind of aspiring healthcare leaders that might be kind of thinking about taking the leap? What would you say to them? Show that you're interested. I always believe that a nurse who is motivated and enthusiastic, I can teach them anything. I just need you to be enthusiastic to learn and I'll teach you. So show that you are that, that you want to be the leader that way. I also think that I learned that I'm not here to make friends um, and, and a lot of people won't like me. And it's important to reflect and realize that that's not really that important, that as long as you're doing your job properly, there'll be people who won't like you. Mm. I think that's a huge learning that I had to to go through. And I think we all have is that I spent most of my three years at the start of my nursing just trying to make friends and not taking my career seriously. And there was just a switch in my head that thought, I need to turn this around. Mm. So to be a leader, you need to sometimes crack some eggs. Mm. Love that. Love that metaphor. Thank you. Thank you so much. It has been amazing. I'm... I'm so grateful that you've come on and there's lots of nuggets of gold in here for people listening. So thank you so much, Dan, for your time. Thank you very much. We can have you on in the future when you're killing it as CEO and, you know, ruling the the world. 
the first one is a freebie. The next one you need to pay me for. <laughs> <laughs> now I appreciate it. I, uh, I've enjoyed being on, and uh, it's nice to catch up again with someone that I know that we we haven't seen in a while. It's been ten years. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's amazing. No, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Until next time. Thanks, Liam. Thank you so much for listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. Please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. I would love you to join my online community of high performance nurses. Join us on Facebook at Liam Caswell or check out my website at liamcaswell.com. Until next time, I have been your host Liam Caswell and I am truly grateful for the opportunity to help you build your high performance nursing career. Be kind to yourself and stay forever curious.